Second right. Kings chapter 11. And we're going to talk tonight on the subject matter, a brand plucked from the fire. A brand plucked from the fire. I'm going to give them uh, time they need to pass those out. I think it'll be helpful for you to have that in hand before we continue. Judah died 
back in 927, chapter 9, verse 27. When Jehu was being very zealous to kill off uh, anybody of the house of Ahab in the northern kingdom, remember he went after uh, Ahaziah too. And Ahaziah died in chapter 9, verse 27. Well, Adaliah is his wicked mother. Okay? And then as you get to verse 2, I, I'm just kind of telling you some of these things ahead of time. Uh, Jehoshaphat, she is the daughter of King Jehoram, and uh, King Jehoram and some wife other than Adaliah. Because you're going to be thinking, is she Adaliah's daughter? No. She, I guess you could say, stepdaughter. And then Jehoiada, that we're going to read in our text tonight, who is the high priest, we're not told in this chapter, but actually Jehoiada and Jehoshaphat are husband and wife also. Second Chronicles tells us that. Okay, let's read it. Chapter 11. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead. Again, when did I say he died? Back in chapter 9, verse 27. She proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. But Jehoshaphat, her stepdaughter, the daughter of King Jehoram and sister of Ahaziah took Joash, son of Ahaziah, stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered. She put him and his nurse in a bedroom to hide him from Athaliah, so he was not killed. He remained hidden with his nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. In the seventh year, Jehoiada, again, he's the high priest, and he's the husband of the lady in verse 2, okay? He sent for the commanders of units of a hundred, the Kerites and the guards, and had them brought to him at the temple of the Lord. He made a covenant with them and put them under oath at the temple of the Lord. Then he showed them the king's son. He commanded them, saying, This is what you are to do. You who are in the three companies that are going on duty on the Sabbath, a third of you guarding the royal palace, a third at the surrogate, and a third at the gate behind the guard, who take turns guarding the temple, and you who are in the other two companies that normally go off Sabbath duty are all to guard the temple for the king. Station yourselves around the king, each of you with weapon in hand, anyone who approaches your ranks is to be put to death. Stay close to the king wherever he goes. 
The commanders of units of a hundred did just as Jehoiada the priest ordered. Each one took his men, those who were going on duty on the Sabbath, and those who were going off duty, and came to Jehoiada the priest. Then he gave the commanders the spears and shields that had belonged to King David and that were in the temple of the Lord. The guards, each with weapon in hand, stationed themselves around the king near the altar and the temple from the south side to the north side of the temple. Jehoiada brought out the king's son and put the crown on him. He presented him with a copy of the covenant and proclaimed him king. They anointed him and the people clapped their hands and shouted, Long live the king. When Athaliah heard the noise made by the guards and the people, she went to uh, she went to the people at the temple of the Lord. She looked, and there was the king standing by the pillar, as the custom was. The officers and the trump, uh, trumpeters were beside the king, and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing the trumpets. Then Athaliah tore her robes and called out, "Treason! Treason!" Jehoiada the priest ordered the commanders of units of a hundred who were in charge of the troops, bring her out between the ranks and put to the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest had said she must not be put to death in the temple of the Lord. So they seized her as she reached the place where the horses entered the palace grounds and there she was put to death. Jehoiada then made a covenant between the Lord and the king and people that they would be the Lord's people. He also made a covenant between the king and the people. All the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They smashed the altars and idols to pieces and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. Then Jehoiada, the priest, posted guards at the temple of the Lord. He took with him the commanders of hundreds, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land. And together they brought the king down from the temple of the Lord and went into the palace, entering by way of the gate of the guards. The king then took his place on the royal throne. All the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was calm. Because Athaliah had been slain with the sword at the palace. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. About midnight on the evening of February the 9th, 1709, fire swept through the parsonage in Epworth, England, in which the family of Samuel Wesley lay sleeping. Awakened by the smoke and the flames, the family struggled out of the house. When they reached safety, they realized that one child was not with them, but had been left behind in his upstairs bedroom. When he appeared at a second-story window, his father tried several times to reach him, but was unable. Well, a neighbor, standing on the shoulders of others, was able to reach him from below and pull him through the window just as the walls collapsed in the flames. His mother, Susanna Wesley, never forgot that moment. It gave her the conviction that her son, John Wesley, was a child who would have a special mission. He would be a person of divine destiny. 
she told him that he was a brand plucked from the fire. And God's hand was indeed on John. Uh, years later, after he was saved, he saw his life in terms of pulling people from the flames of divine judgment through the preaching of the gospel. He became one of the primary figures in the spiritual awakening that swept through the British Isles and spread to the 13 colonies in the 18th century and that reshaped both nations. The spiritual awakening that helped reshape both nations. Well, tonight, we're going to see the rescue of another child. Uh, you know, such a rescue is always dramatic and moving. Chapter 11 records the story of a baby rescued from certain death, and he was a child with a very special destiny. You and I need to understand, Judah was on the brink of destruction also. Joash, this child who saved... Joash was the only surviving link to the great messianic prof, uh, promises God had made to David. Folks, this is certainly a testimony to the fact that God is able to keep his promises. Amen? Here was one person uh, whose grandmother was killing off his siblings. And God was able to preserve him so that God's purposes would march forward. Again, I want to emphasize, he's now the only surviving male of the Davidic line. And who is to come through the Davidic line? The Messiah. Joash is the only surviving member. His grandmother is killing off his siblings. And she has seized the throne. I guess what Jezebel was to the northern kingdom, Athaliah is now to the southern kingdom. Now, there's several things that are going to surface tonight, and I want to give you three. I've given them on your study uh, page there. Most importantly, don't ever think that God is unable to accomplish what he says he will do. Let this story tonight be a reminder to you that no matter how bleak things might look, God can and will perform His work. You know, I think of Abraham at this point, too. He was ready to sacrifice Isaac. You remember that story in Genesis 22. Here was the son of promise, Isaac. Abraham knew that. And yet the text says that Abraham raised the knife to slay Isaac, knowing that God was even able to raise the dead if that's what it took. Uh, a second theme I want you to see tonight, the life of one matters. One can make a huge difference for God. And then thirdly, I want you to see the power of influence. God used a priest, Jehoiada, and his wife to protect Joash. Now, Baalism has been uprooted from Israel by Jehu. We saw that last week. Jehu was God's sledgehammer to deal with the house of Ahab. And boy, he was a sledgehammer. But Baalism has now found a home in Judah, the southern kingdom, under the reign of Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. How has this happened? But it's happened. 
And we're going to see tonight how God uses the priest Jehoiada and Joash, a child king, to restore the Davidic line and to restore temple worship. The first thing I want you to see with me tonight is murder, mayhem, and kidnapping in high places. Murder, mayhem, and kidnapping in high places. In verses 1 through 3. Again, Jehu's purge had removed Baalism from the northern kingdom, but his execution of Judah's king Ahaziah in chapter 9 had opened the door for Baalism to now lodge in the south. And Athaliah, Ahab's daughter, and Ahaziah's mother was already in a position of power as the queen mother. And on top of that, there was no obvious candidate for the throne among Ahaziah's sons. It should be noted that Ahaziah's father and Adaliah's husband, Joram, had murdered all of his brothers on his ascent to the throne, and his older sons had been killed by Philistine and Arab raiders, as is recorded in 2 Chronicles 21. And so the whole Davidic line is under great jeopardy. Athaliah was determined to fill this vacuum herself. You know, I think of a grandmother who murders all of her grandchildren so she can seize power. She shows us the depths of human sin and depravity, right? I mean, as grandparents, what do we do? We spoil our grandkids and send them home so our kids can straighten them out, right? It's been said that grandkids are the reward for not killing your kids. (laughs) But here's a grandmother who is so wicked, she kills all of her grandsons but one so that she can take the throne herself. I mean, this is a wicked, evil woman. And as one commentator says, Judah now has its own Jezebel. Now, from verse 18, apparently, uh, she's been able to have a temple to Baal constructed in Judah. We see that later on in chapter 11. And she's appointed a priesthood to serve at that temple to Baal. Second uh, Chronicles 24-7 indicates that her followers called the sons of that wicked woman, uh, Athaliah, had vandalized the temple of the Lord and used its vessels, carried its vessels over into the temple of Baal. So it would be hard to overestimate the crisis in Judah at this point. But while we're on the subject of such a wicked woman, let's look at another woman in the story who's a hero. Let's don't dare overlook her. Because, you know, between Jezebel and Athaliah, women might be getting discouraged at this point. I mean, you know, here are the two two wicked women, women, Jezebel and now Athaliah. But let's see, let's see a great woman, a courageous woman in verse 2. Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram and sister of Ahaziah. She was the wife, again, of Jehoiada the priest that we read about down in verse 4. 
And what does she do? At a very critical moment, she kidnaps Joash. Folks, this is a good kidnapping, okay? And he's just a little child. She kidnaps Joash in order to save him from his wicked grandmother. And she hides him away in the temple. For six years, she and her husband hide him away. And again, why is this so important? Because as God had said in 1 Kings 11, verse 36, and 1 Kings 15, verse 4, and 2 Kings 8, verse 19, God had promised a lamp for David and his descendants forever. Joash is the only child keeping that promise alive. You know, folks, we read Matthew chapters 1 and 2 in the New Testament. We also read Luke chapters 1 and 2. And we see how Satan tried to use King Herod to kill the baby Jesus. I don't know if you've ever put the pieces together, but Satan is at work here through Athaliah trying to kill off the Davidic line through whom the Messiah would come. Here's one lone child, and here's a wicked woman who's looking for him to kill him too. Folks, we know that God's promises never fail, and it wasn't going to fail this time either. Uh, but sometimes we've got to acknowledge for God's own reason, sometimes it's like God lets things get down to the wire, doesn't he? As I've said to you before, someone's commented, God is seldom early, but he's never late. I mean, things are getting down to the wire. When you think of Joash being the only one in David's line, so the Davidic line can be preserved for, for the Messiah to come through that line one day. I mean, it's, this is do or die moments right here. Well, if you think about it, you can extend beyond that because you to keep him alive the entire time to leave that children. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You can keep Joash alive and preserved for him to have children. Yeah. But again, I want you to think of the risk that Jehoshaphat, who's mentioned there in verse 2, think of the risk that she took. What does her life say to you? Anybody, what's her life say to you? She's a woman of great courage. She's a woman of great courage. She knows God's promises. I mean, she's willing to lay it all on the line, put her own life in jeopardy if need be. And God is using her to preserve the... The Davidic line, exactly. Exactly. So ladies, I mean, think of how... I mean, we've certainly read in First and Second Kings about wicked women. Think of a godly woman here who is used by God to preserve the line for the coming of the Messiah. You don't get much better than this lady here mentioned in verse 2. Well, secondly, I want you to see a bold move. Verses 7 and following. Uh, really, verse 4 and following. 
In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent for the commanders of units of a hundred, the Karaites and the guards, had them brought to him at the temple of the Lord, he made a covenant with them, put them under oath at the temple of the Lord. Then he showed them the king's son. He shows them Joash. And he commands them what they're to do. They're to work in shifts and they're to protect Joash at all costs. Stay close to him. Stay close to wherever he goes. Now, in verse 9, it becomes very clear that Jehoiada, he, he is a priest. And again, 2 Kings doesn't tell us that he's the husband of the hero lady in verse 2. But we learn that from 2 Chronicles 22.11. Now, as a priest... He and his wife had been responsible for the protection of this boy. They, they had been around this boy. They had these guards. They'd been keeping this a secret, a guarded secret for six years. I tell you what, this is a great movie in the making here, right? Do you think she realized he was... Oh, Yeah. Um, yeah, they're hiding him in the temple with all these guards around because she, Athaliah is looking for him too to kill him with all her other grandsons. Oh, yeah. Well, in the seventh year, this priest, Jehoiada, decides it's time to make his move, a bold move. And as I just mentioned, he gets all the guards together, has them take an oath. Uh, he puts... Uh, the child, Joash, before them. The Karaites, by the way, were mercenary forces. Uh, now, can you imagine that the emotion? Because some people are probably thinking David doesn't have any more descendants. And now they see, oh, he does. Here's a descendant, Joash. So I'm sure they're vowing they're going to protect David's uh, seed with their very lives. And then uh, Jehoiada, he divides them all up so that Joash will be guarded around the clock and the assignment's clear. If anybody gets too close to Joash, they are to be put to death. No exceptions. Jehoiada carefully chose the very day also that Joash would be crowned. Again, at this point, everything's secretive. They're not letting the cat out of the bag too early. He gives them all the spears and shields that belong to King David. This is very fitting, isn't it? Because after all, this is King David's descendant, and he's about to be crowned. It's the Sabbath when this is to be done, and so here are all these people for the occasion at the temple. I mean, this would have been a case in point. You missed church services that day, and you've missed something, right? I mean, you missed something. By the way, you missed church today. Who knows what might happen? You missed something, right? <clears throat> they crown him. Everybody shouts. I mean, everybody's tickled to death. They're going to be done with Athaliah. They are sick and tired of this wicked lady ruling over them. I mean, this is a happy day. So they're shouting. They're rejoicing. And she hears what's going on. So she goes to check it out. 
Big mistake. Thirdly, I want you to see the enemy exposed and executed, beginning in verse 13. When Athaliah heard the noise made by the guards and the people, she went to the people at the temple of the Lord. She looked, and there was the king standing by the pillar, as the custom was. The officers and the trumpeters were beside the king, and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. Then Athaliah tore her robes and called out, Treason! Treason! No, she's the treasonous one. And then Jehoiada, you notice he gives the commands to have her killed, not at the temple. Don't, don't defile the temple by killing her here. But as she's running to get away at one of the entrances to the palaces, just like Jezebel, who was also, when Jezebel was thrown down and trampled by the horses, she's going to be killed and trampled too, or horses would be at the entrance of, of the palace. <clears throat> so again, here she is crying treason. A, a grandmother who has killed all her grandsons and taken the throne for herself, and she dares to be one crying treason. Uh, folks, you've got to be impressed with the speed and the precision of this whole thing. Kind of makes me think, you remember, you remember the accounts of what happened when Osama bin Laden was killed. Remember that? They said that uh, when those Navy SEALs landed and the gunfire started and they burst in his room and found him, the look in his eyes was of complete fear and disbelief. They'd been flying Apache helicopters over his hideout for days and days to the point that they said they were just trying to make everybody think that those helicopters, that was just a normal flight path for them now. So the house where Bin Laden was, nobody would think anything of these Apache helicopters flying over. That was, that was part of the, the whole thing. And then all of a sudden, one night, boom, they land, and he's killed. Speed, precision. That's pretty much the same image we, we see here. Now, obviously, a seven-year-old boy is a bit young to actually know what to do, so Jehoiada leads out. By the way, Jehoiada, for his life, he's the advisor to Joash, and as long as he's Joash's advisor, uh, Joash is making godly decisions. Uh, after Jehoiada, he doesn't keep making as good of decisions, but... While Jehoiada, the high priest, is his advisor, Joash has, has a godly rank. And uh, the first thing Jehoiada and Joash have the nation to do is recommit themselves to the Lord. Uh, you look there at verse 17 and following how Jehoiada gets them together and they renew uh, covenant vows and so forth. I mean, it really makes you think a lot of what Joshua 24 records, right? When Josh, Remember how Joshua got them together and they renewed the covenant and so forth? That's, that's sort of like what you see going on here. 
you have not just a political reform going on here, but you have a spiritual reform going on as well. And isn't that what America needs? We don't just need new politicians. We need God, don't we? We need political reform. We need spiritual reform. And here in chapter 11, they're getting both. They're rid of this wicked woman now, this grandmother. They're rid of her now. She's gone. Joash, the, the, in the line of David, he's king. They're, they're enjoying this political reform. They're celebrating it. But Jehoiada understands the significance of the covenant they have with God. And so he gets them together and they renew that covenant. And then what's the first thing they do after renewing the covenant? They run off down to the temple of Baal. And they tear it down. And they kill the priest of Baal. And they march Joash up to the king's palace. They set him on the throne. And the Bible says they rejoiced. And then the land enjoyed peace and rest. Hallelujah. Folks, what happens when the devil is footloose in a nation or in a people? There's chaos. There's division. There's all kinds of problems. I mean, just look at the world right now. But what happens when God takes over? The people are at peace and at rest. I'm telling you, that's a picture of how it's going to be one day. You don't believe it? Turn with me over to Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 65. Some of you may know the passage by heart. Isaiah 65, beginning there in verse 17. Here's God speaking through Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 65, verse 17. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others uh, eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. What a day that's going to be. And we see here just a little glimpse of what's coming one day. Here's a godly king of the line of David on the throne. 
And the people are rejoicing. The land's at peace. And it's at rest. But folks, I do want you to realize something about the new covenant. Under the new covenant, the whole world and the nation can be in an uproar. Just like things are today. And the child of God can be at peace. Because the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus, sits on the throne of your heart. You can have His peace even now. Does He sit on the throne of your heart? You know, as America is going broke, as the stock market is falling and rising and falling and falling more, and stock market's kind of like a drunk man stumbling and falling. In the midst of everything going on in the world today, the child of God can be in perfect peace. You know, one of the slogans of, of the Protestant Reformation was post Tenebrox uh, Lux. Post Tenebrox Lux. Anybody know what that phrase meant? I know Lux is light. Mm -hmm. After. After darkness, light. They'd been in the darkness of the Middle Ages. And the false doctrine and traditions of the Roman Catholic Church. And the reformers, men like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Zwingli and others. That the spiritual reformation that took place. And the reformation in the church... Uh, they had a, the slogan, post Tenebras Lux, after darkness, light. I think we could title 2 Kings 11 that because after darkness of Athaliah, they have light. Some takeaways I want to give you tonight. Number one, God's purposes cannot and will not be defeated. God's purposes cannot and will not be defeated. Folks, I, again, I just want you to I just want you to understand how God preserved a legitimate descendant of David according to God's promise that He would do that. Against all odds, God preserved David's line. It's a miracle when you think about what all was going on. And all the odds against it in human terms, but God did. Second lesson, God raises up courageous servants. God raises up courageous servants. What did Paul say to Timothy? Join with me in suffering for the gospel. Folks, the work of God is not for sissies. We've got to remember we're engaged in spiritual warfare. And Paul says in Ephesians 6, we battle against principalities and powers in high places. I mean, just, just think of... When Jehoiada was calling the people together, the guards, and instructing them what they were to do, and when Adelias showed up, go after her and kill her. I mean, these are courageous, bold moves being taken. But Jehoiada understood what was at stake here. 
And he called on people to, to be full of courage. A third takeaway, God's people are sometimes called to simply wait. Jehoiada's plan, along with his wife, it was in the making for years. They hid this child away six years. The seventh year, they, they brought him out. They had the coronation. They had to wait for the right time. That's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes we have to simply wait. And then a last takeaway, God's people are called upon to live in repentance and faith. They consecrated themselves to God and they cleansed the land. They immediately went after the temple of Baal and the priesthood of Baal. They understood if they left that in the land, it would once again poison the land, spiritually speaking. They consecrated themselves and they cleansed the land. Great, great chapter in the Old Testament. Any questions? Any comments? Uh, faith. God's people are called upon to live in repentance and faith. They consecrated themselves to God and cleansed the land. You know, you, 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 might, you might be tempted just to read through this chapter if you don't understand all these things happening. And you just breeze right on through and go to chapter 12 without realizing the significance of what's taking place here in preserving the Davidic line. And the people God used in doing that, the courage it took for them to do that, the time that it took, the planning that it took. Uh, I mean, it's this, this is a great, great chapter in the Old Testament. Richard? Um, the same thing that happened here happened uh, 75 to 80 years ago, more of a, a national, on a national scale. The ones that were on the throne were threatened. They thought they were threatened by, um, it was like a critical race theory, the Jews. And Hitler and his, his gang was to wipe out the Jews. And we had a rescue plan, and it was just, um, uh, there was a book, uh, there was a movie made by uh, Billy Graham, it's called The Hiding Place, based on the book The Hiding Place by Corey Tenboom. And it was uh, about uh, a Dutch family that was uh, hiding Jews. And they had a, a, a watch repair business. They were hiding Jews and they were, they were risking their lives for several years. They crammed, crammed in behind walls and everything just to save their lives. And um, they suffered greatly, and some some of them were killed in the family and everything. Um, and that uh, that book is being sent to Germany to minister to some people that suffered during the war. But uh, but it you know it just uh, it just shows that man hasn't changed. I'm thinking of in the 1890s and. Early 1900s, it was considered enlightened. A uh, man had evolved uh, through science. This is what a lot of people would think. Pre 
science and technology, we're, uh, uh, we don't have to worry about wars, and uh, we're, we're coming out of that. We're coming into the light. Then you have boom, World War One, World War Two, and you have all these other war, wars. It's like, and, uh, ooh. But you can see God's hand in, in recent times. You know, so, sure. But that's a great uh, lesson from chapter 11 there. Yeah, and it reminds me when you think of them fighting wickedness, yeah. the wickedness of Athaliah. You know, I think of the book of Esther. Yeah. Fighting against Haman, uh, who wanted to destroy him. Yeah. So, and people who stood in the gap and put their lives on the line. Yeah. One of the fellows who was in the Warsaw ghetto, uh, he was a messenger, very dangerous job. But anyway, he got out and he encouraged me because. He owned, a, he owned a business and he said, your son has pancreatic, pancreatic cancer and he pulled off his clothes and he was short, he was a multi-millionaire this fellow and he was just, his heart was was trying to encourage me and if Hitler had his way, this guy couldn't encourage me. Well anyway, he said, look at me. He said, 14 and a half years, pancreatic cancer, gone. And he says, if I had the operation in the United States, never would have. But I had it in England, and they approved it. And so he was, you know, he was encouraging me because I was discouraged because of my son, you know. But so God's people, you know, they're, they're so uh, precious, you know. I mean, there's bad ones and good ones. Sure. All in all, you know, they're very precious. Amen. Yeah. The beauty of it, like the Gospels, uh, seeing many of the, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, seeing the same events reported from a slightly different perspective. So yeah, reading First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, there's a lot of overlap, but one enriches the other.